Support for this podcast has been provided by Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, making money meaningful. It was hard. We needed to find our way. We had money. We had a team. But trying to find the product market fit was still not trivial. We thought we found it. We thought we had it because we had like 40 or 50 customers not paying. But when we tried to convert them to paying customers, we couldn't get anyone. This is Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. My name is Yigal Marcus. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as the Startup Nation, the State of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas. We'll learn of their successes and, of course, their failures. And we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. This is part two of my interview with Ophir Ehrlich, the co-founder of a company called Cloud Endure. Today, typically, when, you, when, when a company hires, let's just as an example, say Amazon. Mm-hmm. So there's a service level agreement, an SLA, that basically commits Amazon to having the network up and running 99.99 something uh, percent. A couple yeah. of 99.999 yeah. something percent of the time. And, and Amazon are fanatic about that. Amazon really believe that uptime and security are super, 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 super important. They are. <laughs> because it, 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 this is what got them to earn the customer trust. And internally, they have a lot of mechanisms to make sure that uh, we uphold those, those SLAs and even better. And this is really critical inside Amazon in any way. However, it is really hard to do it. Uh, not for, also for Amazon, but... Google, a really huge company, they had a few global outages just recently. And Google is not uh, some small company who just tried it. They have a, a what we call a planet scale for a very long time. So it's a hard work to do it. So eventually we started with small companies uh, we, which were already in AWS. At the time, AWS mainly had... Uh, startups as customers. And did you did you partner with AWS at that point? At that point, we had talked to them, talks with them, but we didn't really partner. So you were an add-on? No, we were an, a service which uh, uh, helps uh, companies which have infrastructure on AWS. We told them, use us completely independently of AWS. We'll automate everything. We'll create a complete replica of all your data center, of your, all your virtual data center in AWS, in another region in AWS. Now, this wasn't the best idea either at the time. Today, it's much better. But at the time, small startups to play with us and uh, let uh, and u- use our product when it was for free. But when we asked for money, suddenly it was really, really hard. Because they were startup company, they were less aware of the problem of uptime availability, they were less concerned from disasters and they didn't want to spend a lot of budget on it. So we uh, we started, and it, this was after we raised our first round from Magma Ventures of, uh, mainly Magma Ventures of $5.2 million. And that was your first round? Yeah, that was our first round. At that time, it was way easier relatively to to uh, uh, raise money, especially when you are foreign entrepreneurs after selling a company. It was hard. We needed to find our way. We had money. We had a team. But trying to find the product market fit was still not trivial. We thought we found it. We thought we had it because we had like 40 or 50 customers not paying. 
But when we tried to convert them to paying customers, we couldn't get anyone. And at the time, it was weird for us because we thought, hey, we have 40, 50 paying, uh, non-paying customers. Surely we get 10 of them to pay, right? Makes sense. Well, we got none. And none. All of them, yeah, and all of them said, well, it's nice. It, it works really good. They didn't concern about how well the, pro- the product works, but we don't have the budget for that. We were okay with $100 a month, but we can't afford letting companies like that pay $100 a month. It doesn't scale well. It also doesn't cover your bills. Exactly. It doesn't cover anything. So we had a lot of interaction with the market. And I think one one important thing to do is even after you raise money, you think you have a really good idea and even get acknowledgement from the environment that this is a really good idea. You have to pay a lot of attention to your customers and talk to them constantly. Because especially when our VP of business development was my really good friend for 18 years before that joined us, Gonenstein, he uh, was in a lot of conventions and he found out a few things. First, that the shift to the cloud is slightly different than people anticipated before. Instead of the enterprise moving all the infrastructure to the cloud, they utilized the form of a hybrid cloud, which means that they are moving some of the infrastructure to the cloud, but some of the infrastructure remains on-premise, which will they maybe eventually move to the cloud. By the way, today, companies are moving uh, fully to the cloud, but what I'm talking about was about more than five years ago, so things were different. And enterprises started moving to the cloud, and when they start moving to the cloud, they were afraid to move their primary data center for there, because, primary uh, data center for to there, because again they were afraid that they will lose control. But actually, hope to leverage the cloud to for two things. One, uh, they wanted to uh, reduce their cost for dev and test. But two, they wanted to have the disaster recovery environments there because disaster recovery is really expensive and doesn't work. And this is where we came in. We then shifted slightly our business model, made a small shift, small shift in technology, but a really, really, really huge difference. When we offered companies the ability to use the cloud for disaster recovery while maintaining their on-premise environment, and when they move to the cloud, they will they can use us to do a disaster recovery in the cloud. So we could actually be a part of their journey to the cloud all the time and help them fill the waters without getting too wet. That was perfect timing because that was really when companies in mass started migrating to the cloud and you offered the solution to, to really reduce the risk of that kind of major that, that, move. That's right. And actually, in retrospect, we have a few customers who actually had a, during disaster recovery, we have a few really live examples of customers who used us, uh, used the cloud new service, had a disaster, they moved, they, they, they failed over to the cloud, they used the cloud as a second storage when something bad happened to their original data center. And they saw, wow, it's really fast, it works really well, let's just not fail back and continue using the cloud. So actually this was an amazing use case for Amazon because they saw, wow, people are using cloud and using the cloud for disaster recovery but eventually ending up as using the cloud as their main data center because everything's there. They just need to hit a button. And this actually made a lot of difference and this really helps us to align our interests with Amazon. This is what year? So so you so, you, you, you launched in, in November in, 2012, but when did you so, pivot here? And, so and that's right. So this was around the end of 2000 and we raised money in, uh, in the mid- middle of 2013 and this was 
uh, in 2000, end of t- 2014, we started doing that. And how quickly did that business grow? It took some time, but after the first, second uh, quarter, it actually grew really, really fast. We actually saw after a relatively short period. It took uh, one quarter when we, when we had our first customers who paid combined, I know, $10,000, and then it, in a month later, it was $20,000. And a few months later, we actually got a deal, which was $1.7 million. It was a really good deal. That's a hockey stick. That's right. <laughs> right? It goes and straight that up. was amazing. Wow. It was just uh, not a long time ago after we raised a second round from Infosys, who believed in us. And actually, in the middle of the fund, we, we raised $7 million for Infosys, and we thought we'd raise... Uh, another three million dollars to a three or thirty? No, three. Three. So okay. to to make it a ten million dollars, we didn't have revenue at the time. We thought we we're we are striking gold, but we didn't have evidence. And just I know a month after they invested us, we suddenly all of a sudden got a really big deal, and said, "Whoa, uh, uh, this could really scale." And they were of course super happy about it. And of course we got an over immediate oversubscription to our round, but we didn't want want to raise a lot of money. So eventually, instead of three, we raised $6 million more because we didn't want to be too diluted and we didn't think we need the money. That's uh, a great time to be raising money when you don't think you need money. That's right. right. Because then you can, you can really demand it, it, exactly, a much higher valuation. Exactly. So we, we really made it that we didn't dilute too much. And we really... What, what was your valuation? Do you, do you remember what your valuation um, was? Yes, but I don't, don't think I can disclose okay. it. Okay. No problem. But at the time, it was really, really good because all of a sudden, some major businesses started working with us. And... Oh, and we started getting more and more customers. And something I did mention that at approximately the same time, when we were talking to customers, they told us, hey, you're using disaster recovery. Your same technology can actually be used for migrating to the cloud. The same disaster recovery, but you don't need to go back. And after a few customers told us that, we said, hey, let's, let's try and sell the same product, but for migration. We did it in parallel to what I told you right now. And it actually was... A really good idea. And of course, the market tells you what, what you do eventually. And all of a sudden, we got a lot of traction for really uh, big uh, global system integrators. Initially, it was Capgemini, but then uh, Tata, uh, Tata and uh, Accenture and guys like that. This is, this is 2015. This is 2016 16. already. Okay. Yes, I think. 15, 16. These are those two years. Did you remember what your revenues were like? I think that... 2000 let me let me see if i remember i think the 2015 at the end of 2015 we had 180,000 dollars it was booking revenues i think it was something like 60,000 or 50,000 okay. the next year it was in revenues it was probably 1 and a half million uh, in the next one it was uh, i think 7 in the next one it was uh, and then it grew up uh, rapidly. Eventually, we were both, at the time of the acquisition, we were cash flow positive and we were profitable, which was really nice. That's also a great time to be selling. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and in general, our general idea was unlike other startups, we said that we don't want to raise too much money or to grow too fast uh, in terms of human capital. We prefer having really, really, really good people and to grow our business in the right way. In retrospect, along those lines, in retrospect, when you think about the people that you hired, mm-hmm. aside from the founders, mm-hmm. who was the most important hire that you made? So without a doubt, our most important hire was actually a really, really good friend of mine, which I told you about, our VP of Business Development, Gonen. And Did that concern you? 
No. The fact that he was a good friend. Ah, yes. It was really hard for me to bring him. Actually, I was... Well, it's uh, hard It's hard for you to bring him, but it's also hard for you to fire him if he no, didn't no, succeed. Exactly. No, it was hard for me. Not to, I, I, my, I had a really great concern because... I was afraid what will happen if it doesn't work. What happen, happens if he doesn't deliver or if I doesn't deliver? Because we're such good friends, he was a perfect fit for the job. I didn't want to bring him, but actually eventually one of my partner, Gil Shai, who really liked him. I, I Initially, I got Gonen to talk to all of my, uh, my, found, my fellow founders to advise them initially. I didn't think about bringing him in. But at some point, uh, Gonen and I talked and said, well, maybe it could be a nice idea that he will come, but I don't want to bring a friend uh, in. But uh, Gil eventually convinced me, listen, Gonen is really good. Don't worry. You have per- great synergy. We all have great synergy. It will work perfect. So thank you, Gil. It was the best hire we could do ever. After him, there were a few key developers that we brought, which was super, super, super uh, uh, good. In all terms, not only technically, but both from a personality perspective. Uh, two of them are uh, uh, Ophir Setter and Sigal Viner. They are working today in Cloud and in Amazon as well. And they were, I think, imperative for the success. Also, uh, others, Iran uh, Weiss, uh, other ca- ca- uh, guys in the company that were imperative. I want to get into your, if you don't mind, getting a little bit into your your board, mm-hmm. the, the, the people who manage a company, really the management committee. We have a family member who runs, who owns a very large retail mm-hmm. uh, business in uh, in South Africa, hundreds of uh, locations. And he has a, a sign in his boardroom that says, if any two people in this room agree, I don't need one of you. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, how complimentary was the team on one hand? And also having a healthy debate, a healthy clash of ideas should, I imagine, you tell me, mm-hmm. be productive. So uh, we are like, you know, that uh, they say that uh, uh, every two do- Jewish people have three different opinions. <laughs> oh, it I know well. <laughs> it wasn't different for us. We had a lot of different opinions. And on some things were complementary and on some things were the same. But in most, mo- more than more than the things that were compl- uh, complementary, uh, uh, we were the same, we were complementary. So I think it was really fruitful and i think that the core was usually the founders it still remained and the uh, gonen and uh, afterward we uh, the the management team grew and we added uh, we have a, our cfo and a vp of sales and vp of marketing and uh, vp of channels so we had about eight people in the uh, management team the larger man- management team at its peak but most of the staff the core stuff were actually uh, the founders of the founders and Gonen. I think because we're good friends as well, this actually really helped the company because uh, some of us in, were in Israel, some of us were in the States. And if we didn't have really good relations, uh, I don't think it would have succeeded as well as it did. When you guys actually did disagree, mm-hmm. how did you adjudicate that? How did you solve that? So we actually... Pretty, I'm not sure how to reproduce it with other people, but we eventually always came to an agreement. I couldn't say that we always agreed. We ne- we almost never agreed on anything. We're all very opinionative. And usually I believe that all, all of us or most of us have really good reasoning to why we think what we think. 
but we live with, in a world of uncertainty, so everyone interprets uh, their reality and the risks and the potential of doing things in the future in a different way. We try to be as analytic as possible in, in many things and do explicit decisions. I think it's really imperative. And if someone disagrees, we needed to either do something that Amazon does well, what we call disagree and commit. Israelis don't do this well, but we had to do it eventually. It's okay that we don't agree, but eventually the relevant stakeholder need to hear all the opinions and eventually make the decisions. And everyone else needs to comply with that. And uh, But more often than not, we eventually reach consensus, which eventually <coughs> managed to uh, convince uh, each other. So in it both helps you to refine your uh, ideas, messaging, decisions, etc. On the other hand, there's a downside for that, that it's in, on some occasion it could average you. You won't take uh, really big risks. You won't do extraordinary decisions from your gut. Simply won't do that because uh, you can't have perfect reasoning for that. And again, you live in a world when you have a lot of unknowns and the world is really complicated. And no matter how much experience you have, it's it's always complicated. You never do things automatically as you grow. When a company is growing, you always it is always a uphill battle. It is always hard. And no matter how many times you did it, no matter how much advice you get, eventually it's up to you and or, or a, a either a, the, the stakeholder or the, the, the management team. And they need to uh, eventually make the hard decisions with the data that they have at the, at the time. So your, your company is growing, obviously, and uh, doing very well. Um, any, any major barriers that you yeah. had, to, aside from the, the pricing and the freemium and, and, and pivoting? And, you know, were there any other major barriers yes, that you had so, to overcome? So it, it was a lot of time hard because as we scaled, scaling is really hard. It's one thing to make a technological uh, product which works for one customer. It's one, also, it's one thing to go to one customer, uh, uh, bring all your guns, all your CEO, C CTO, VP R&D, VP product, convince him. It's a whole different ballpark to do it for 100 customers, for 1,000 customers, to bring really good support for those customers, to uh, uh, give good visibility, to maintain very high quality of your product, of continuing to hiring really good people and not compromising, even though you need a lot of people, it's really, really hard doing that. I think that scaling is far harder than actually creating a, the technology for one, one customer. And I think this is really hard for us. And eventually, if you look at our revenues, it wasn't just a hockey stick going up. It, 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 when you look at it from the outside, uh, from a, a 30,000 feet, it's a hockey stick. When you zoom in, there was there was places where it was flat. I don't think we were down ever, but where it wasn't growing on some occasions as much as it should. And later, when we got a trick, we got it to grow as, as much as we, we wanted. Did you ever doubt that the company would fly? Um. All the time. All the time. All the time. You're always afraid that something will happen, even though in retrospect, most of the time we shouldn't have doubted it. And at some point, it was, in my opinion, it was hard for it to fail completely. Uh, the risk was really reduced, in my in my opinion, let's say a year before the acquisition or maybe even more. I still constantly thought 
that the company is going to get, I don't know if a fail, but a maybe not as successful as I want to. And it's harder when it's growing because you think you have a lot to lose at the time. Initially, if you don't succeed raising money or something or your product doesn't succeed, you're upset, but that's fine. But after you already made a big, a big advancement and you got customers and you got revenues and you got people, if you now don't succeed, it hurts a lot more. If you need to fire 20 people, it would hurt a lot more. Or fire 50 people. It's really, really hard. And you constantly worry, you constantly need to be attentive, you constantly need to be on alert because maybe even if it's Friday night uh, or Saturday night, you will have to go on a call with a customer, I mean, right now, it like happens a lot or a, a solve a crisis, you don't know. And it's, it's not getting easier. It also affects a lot your private life. You don't have attention to almost anything else. It takes all of your attention. It's both fun, but at the same time, it's consuming. So it's... You really actually got hard. married just a very short time, which we're going to get to in a minute, mm -hmm. before you actually got acquired. So I imagine during that time, personally, it was probably very difficult for you. That's right. It was really, really stressful time because I uh, got engaged to my uh, beautiful wife, Julia, on February of 2018. At the time, we were also already really good partners with a lot of clouds. We had an OEM deal, even till now, with uh, Google. Google are actually today using Cloud Endure, even though we're Amazon, to migrate to the cloud. It's a part of a deal we signed before. Uh, we partnered with a whole bunch of other really large companies, with Cisco and with SunGuard and with other uh, large enterprises and large uh, uh, system integrators. And things started to to heat up and actually the market really really became to be ripe and i was uh, and on april may i was sure that an acquisition offer was going to come really really soon you weren't looking no we weren't looking uh, as a startup i don't think you if you ever look for a buyer you usually sell at a very low uh, price a startup uh, startups are usually not sells uh, you, you don't you usually don't sell startups startups are usually being bought and it's not the same thing that's actually a really good a good lesson that i don't think people fully grasp right that's right um, too often people come to me and just because I was an entrepreneur before I, I joined Alliance Bernstein and they say, you know, here's my idea. What do you think? And, 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 and this is the company that's going to get, that's going to acquire me. And I say, don't think about acquisition. You know, that's, that's, if, if you, if you try to shop yourself from the day that you started your business, you're never going to get a good price. Uh, absolutely. Build your business, focus on the business, heads down, and as you guys did, when things begin to pop, trust me, people are going to sniff around, they're going to know, and they'll line up your door, and then you can get a good price. That's right. And usually, uh, if you're doing a good business, you usually partner with the right companies. And usually, when you partner with good companies, and you both benefit from that, they will eventually say, hey, um, we should probably acquire this company because otherwise we might lose it. And, uh, and on the contrary, if uh, we acquire it, we may, might one plus plus one plus one equals more than two, so we can actually profit a lot more because we can align our interests even better. We can focus them even better because before the acquisition for Amazon, for example, we're kind of uh, about a lot of things out of areas, uh, different clouds, 
and uh, uh, focusing not necessarily on AWS. When we, we when we we were acquired now, we are only focused on AWS, and we are are developing together the correct solutions, working with their customers and with uh, uh, the right uh, product people and marketing. So we're doing everything aligned with what AWS customers need. Uh, and also now they were AWS was a client of yours. They were a partner of us. A partner of yours yeah. before you got acquired. Yeah, that's right. We are partners for um, many years. We were an advanced partners as of I think it was 2015, if I remember correctly. And we worked a lot with them. We had tons of meetings with them all the time. We had tens of meetings, I think, each week with people from AWS. And they, we had a lot of shared success stories together with really, really, really large companies. And many of those success stories got the attention of the management because they were really big success stories. Now, keep in mind that when we migrate companies to the cloud... When you say when you say management, Bezos? Uh, I don't think it's Be- Bezos. I think it's Andy Jassy, the CEO okay. of uh, sure. uh, AWS, and he's uh, Emilia. And people are around him, Terry Wise and guys like that. And we had uh, numerous success stories with them so that eventually it was only natural that they will say, okay, let's, it will be even more ideal if we buy them because for every dollar we made uh, from a migration, they made, let's call it, tens of times more than, than that because we profited from ma- performing the migration. Amazon profited from Hosting. huge customer. Uh, using their infrastructure forever and ever, or at least for a few years. And there were really big uh, infra, uh, companies and, and government entities and uh, uh, major universities and stuff like that. We had thousands of customers on AWS, on Google, on, on other in- infrastructure when we ac- were acquired. So the techno- there was no doubt about the technology or its ability to scale. There's no bo- uh, doubt about the synergy. So And we are working really good together so it only made sense eventually that AWS will buy us. And did anybody else compete? Did you get any other so offers? So we can't. Uh, I can't get into those details. But okay. over the time, we had. I can say that over the time we had a few approaches from various companies, and and it was really. It's really hard to say no to or to not continue an engagement when you understand the payout. The payouts were, were large uh, even before, but we wanted to get to a point where we think we are really believe that we're successful. And, and not only that, we understood that as a part of any acquisition, we'll have to stay in the company. So we really hoped for a really good company to buy us. And AWS was our first and foremost choice because even when we started the company, we say, AWS is an amazing company, but it usually doesn't buy a successful technology companies. So, and especially when they have businesses, they usually do a very small, very small acquisitions. So, there's no. It's not likely that they will eventually acquire us, but over the time, it simply made a lot of sense. Actually, two months before we got the offer to be acquired. I told our Gorenov VP of, BD, of business development over the phone, remember having a conversation with him saying, things are going so well with Amazon now, I can bet that in a period of two months, they're going to ask to acquire us. And it actually took exactly two months for them to uh, ask <laughs> To the us. day. It was really, almost to the day, it was really, really You funny. could have said three months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, should, I should take a buffer, but I didn't. But, and actually, it 
was almost exactly what happened. And uh, it took a lot of time for the negotiation. Again, we started negotiation, we kicked it off in June. We signed a letter of intent in October. We, uh, we, we signed the acquisition in December and we announced it in January. When and it was most closed. importantly, when did you get engaged? When did you, when did you get married? Oh, so we get that to that, of course. So we, I got ba- mar- married on the tem- 24th of October. And just about 10 days before that, uh, we signed a, the letter of intent to acquire with Amazon. Now, this was after our long time of negotiation and negotiations, and it was really stressful time. And then we moved to drafting the, the, the definitive agreement of the sale and a deep due diligence by a, a AWS, who also, in their turn, brought a really large delegation to Israel to check the company and to interview a lot of people. And all of that happened while I was busy making the preparations for the wedding. <laughs> so luckily, my wife was uh, really resourceful and did all the preparations for herself. And it, it, almost everything was done by her. And I told her, listen, after the wedding, we'll get a really nice honeymoon. Just let me first close the deal. And we just got back from our honeymoon after a month. A bit overdue, but uh, uh, nonetheless, it was really successful. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Uh, Hawaii. Ah. It was really great. So Hawaii is amazing. It's the best. Yes, it's the best. It's absolutely amazing. Tell Uh, me the truth. Tell me the truth. mm -hmm. When you were walking down the aisle, Mm -hmm. did you think about your business getting bought? Only (laughs) when I was walking down the aisle, I didn't. But even at the road to there, my best man was actually Gonen. Actually, I had two best men. One of them was Gonen. And he was late because he was in a meeting about the acquisition. And when he drove me to to the wedding venue, he we still had a conversation about something which you do in the negotiation. (laughs) <laughs> so it was quite fun, uh, quite funny, That's but great. yes, it's really hard not to think about that, about the acquisition because it's something you work for for a long time and did it twenty four seven. So it's outcome of a really hard work, and and I'm glad it turned out well, and uh, we're very happy with it. I, I I've taken so much of your time. I have maybe just a couple of of, of hopefully quicker questions for you, mm-hmm. and then and then uh, let you go. So obviously you, you sold the business to Amazon for. I'm not. We're not going to get into the, the details, but can I at least say that it was a nine digit number? Yeah. They, okay. They, I'll leave it at that. Exactly. All right, leave it at that. Nine digits. So wild success. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned before we went uh, went on air that um, the first acquisition of Excel Web made you a millionaire, and this this one. Enabled you to not have to work anymore. Yeah, I don't have to work anymore. <laughs> um, but thinking about the entrepreneurs listen to the program and and the lessons that you could teach them uh, as, as they consider building their, their business. So what's the most significant lesson? You've, you've had you have three startups that you've launched. One was a failure. One was a modest success. One was a wild success. Obviously, you learned a lot. Yeah, a when lot. When you think about... The, the most important lessons that you personally learned. Okay, so, so one of the things is that ideas worth nothing. Teams and industri- industries are everything. And execute because it, uh, because teams derive execution, and execution is the most important thing that you need to do. And also derives, and, and also uh, drives the hiring, which is also a major thing to do. Also, you need to be have fun. I'm almost certain that I'll have an, uh, another startup when if and when I leave Amazon you're not done and no I, I don't think because I really like it it will be kind of weird I will never be in pension at least that's what I think I really like doing it I'm not suffering from walking I do, I, I, I'm trying to have more of a work-life balance it's hard because I love working for me it's a 
life-life balance. But I think today I'm trying to be more towards having a life. But as an entrepreneur, you must understand that there are sacrifices that you'll have to do in your life. I don't think I've met entrepreneurs we didn't do those sacrifices, uh, at least successful ones. What kind of sacrifices? So it consumes most of your attention and most of your time. It's really hard to do something like that without it happening. It's just it not it's not just another job. Don't do that just to get back on your old boss or if you are unhappy from your existing workplace. And it's usually not successful. Okay? And even if it's successful, don't believe what you see in the papers. Usually the the outcome is not huge. You don't make a lot of money in most of the cases comparing to the risk that you took. So be we be understand that you there's a really good chance, even you're a really good person and a really good entrepreneur, that you won't be successful successful for various reasons. And make sure that you are willing to do the sacrifice. And if you're willing to do it, get, get head on and do it all the way and be completely aligned with the goals of, of the startup. That's what I can uh, think. And again, choose the best team you can think of. You need to adore each and every person of your founding team, remember it's like marriage. You see them a lot. You actually see them. I actually see more uh, my partners more than I see my wife. And they're the hopefully same. Hopefully that'll change when you become a dad. Um, hopefully, yes. <laughs> but even when, uh, but I can tell you that even my partners who have children, I still see them more than anyone else in their life. Wow. And this is something that you need to take into account. And you need really good teammates which you will really love working with you must really have passion for it you can't treat it just as a day job it's something that you really should you must really love i really love what i do i really love our product i really love this this business which might be mundane for uh, people like enterprise companies and uh, data centers and infrastructure uh, cloud infrastructure and something like stuff like that i really love it i really am passionate about it. I think you should be really passionate about the startup that you're working on. And I think you should always be optimistic because it's never just going uh, good all the times. It's like a roller coaster. That's something that everyone, I, all the good entrepreneurs I know, everyone says that. There are good times which are great and then there are bad times which are really, really bad. And you don't know how you will get out of them except that two days later, you do. And it's really, really hard from a personal perspective, it's really hard to explain it to anyone else who is not an entrepreneur, even if it's your spouse, even if it's your best friend, even if it's your parents. The only people who can relate to that, in my opinion, are other entrepreneurs. And it's something that, at least today, it's very hard to teach. Maybe you know, in the future there will be better colleges for uh, founders and entrepreneurship. Today, I don't know of any. I don't like accelerators or anything like those. I don't think they improve the chances of a startup to succeed. I think that most of the time it's the other way around. This is a problem. So I don't know how to teach entrepreneurship, but it's something that you really need to learn. What motivates you? I think that something that motivates me that I can do influence at the scale, that I can build something of my own that I will be proud of. It's really, really fun. A few days ago, my brother told me that, hey, a customer of his, he lives in Dallas 
and he works for some system integrator and he told me that a customer of his uh, is using Cloud Endure and I said, wow, they're using Cloud Endure in a completely remote uh, place in the world. And it's really fun that even if it's in my area, which most of the people don't know, it's uh, the backend of a cloud of, of server infrastructure, you still are still there are really large companies who are giving such a vote of confidence so they're actually willing to pay a lot of money to use something that you thought of that you built that people announce products in Amazon uh, are announcing products in the keynotes with a name that you thought of and you even thought it's not uh, such a good name and it's really really nice to see it on uh, business cards and on PowerPoints and uh, whatnot and I think that building something of your own that you can be proud of and that influences at scale this is really 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 fun I think the money is a nice byproduct and of course I, I wouldn't say it's negligible but this is not the reason I'm doing it and that's part of the reason that I'm almost certain that I'll have another startup or something of the sort in the future. Last question. Mm -hmm. What is it about Israel that incubates so many great startup, uh, startup entrepreneurs? So, so I think a few, uh, there are a few things. One of them is that we are all, it's got a small swamp. So everybody knows everyone, especially in the tech community. It's really easy to get to anyone, one hop usually. Either I know them or I know someone who knows them and can give me a warm introduction. That's the first thing. The second is that Israelis really like to help. If you approach almost anyone, they will be really happy to talk to you and to help you and share the insights. And the third thing is that we celebrate failure. So it's not a shame to fail. It's absolutely fine. And you can fail and try again. You can fail and go to work in a, in a company, not as a founder, and then go back and try this journey again. And this, this is something which I think those three are really unique to Israel. Combine that with the army service, where there are elite technological units where you meet a lot of smart people, and this is another multiplier. It's not the only thing. Two of my partners were not in the relevant army units, but... Uh, no one's perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. Ophir, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I, I, this was fantastic. Wow, this I, was fun. There's, there's a lot of information here. And, um, you know, we're going on an hour and a half, which means this is going to be a two-part series. Usually this is like less than an hour, but this was absolutely fabulous. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting you back the next time you launch mm -hmm. another startup. And I'm sure it's going to be very successful. But, uh, but thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Machlis. The assistant producer is Rachel Zak. And the senior research analyst is Lior Levin. If you have a successful startup in Israel you'd like featured on the show, please email us at startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. And you can now visit our brand new website, www.startupstoriesisrael.com where you'll find our growing list of podcasts with some of Israel's most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders. A big shout out to my employer Alliance Bernstein for being incredibly supportive of this initiative. Please remember to rank us on your favorite podcast network and to share these stories with your friends and family. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.